Why should Christians do apologetics? Is there any biblical support for defending Christianity using philosophy? And doesn't Paul say that the wisdom of this age is made foolish by the gospel? I'm Kyle Kelts, and in this episode, we are going to be answering these questions and looking at the biblical basis for doing apologetics. If you're a non-Christian following this series, you can probably skip forward to the next lecture or so. But regardless, I hope you'll benefit from this information and stick around to listen to all the episodes in this series. Welcome back. This is going to be my second lecture on apologetics. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about the biblical basis for apologetics. So we're going to be looking at biblical reasons for doing apologetics. The Bible verse for this video uh, I explained in the previous lecture uh, is 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Um, If you would like to dig deeper into this verse, I explain it in the last lecture. Um, So my reflection question for this lecture is going to be, why is apologetics important? You can be thinking about that as I talk about these main points, Uh, and if you'd like Go ahead and put uh, your answer to that question in the comment section if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, So yeah, uh, in this lecture I was going to talk about three main uh, types of Bible verses that support Christians doing apologetics. Why do we, we already talked about what apologetics is, uh, talked about 1 Peter 3.15 last time, and how we are, uh, Peter in a way, commands Christians to do apologetics, which is defending the truth of the Christian faith to non-believers and also um, teaching the truth of the Christian faith to believers. So, um, three main types of Bible verses that we see that support um, the, the doing of apologetics are what you see here. The first is commands to do apologetics. The second is examples of the historical basis of Christianity. The third is examples of Jesus and the apostles doing apologetics themselves. And in this lecture, I was going to be taking a look at uh, all three types of these verses. There's a lot more than what I'll cover in this lecture. But like I said, we're, we're not trying to spend too long on any given topic. Um, I'm just going to point out some of the ones that I think are the most important. So for the first uh, type of verse where Christians are commanded to do apologetics, I'm going to be looking at 1 Peter 3.15, Titus 1, verses 10 through 11, and Jude chapter 3. So, uh, by now, uh, you should be familiar with 1 Peter 3.15. I explained this verse in the previous lecture. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, "...but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy." ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We talked about how the word, the Greek word that's translated into defense here is apologia, and it means to defend or, or uh, 
or to vindicate. And um, yeah, so this is a command to Christians to do apologetics. Peter uh, is telling Christians to act as Christ-like as possible and to make it so that people will ask you about why you are so hopeful and uh, and, and you are able to stand uh, um, in the face of persecution and ridicule and all these other things. Um, and, and to, yeah, be, be ready to give a defense of, to people for why you believe what you believe. So it's basically a, a command to Christians to do apologetics in, in certain contexts. Um, but yeah, we, we've already talked about that in the, lac- the last lecture. Another uh, kind of command for Christians to do a certain type of apologetics is found in Titus 1, verses 10 through 11. Uh, this passage says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. So yeah, Titus is a letter uh, by the Apostle Paul to a church leader, Titus, um, uh, who was in, in Crete. And we think this letter was written around 63 to 66 A.D. And um, Paul is trying to tell Titus how important it is to defend the faith against false doctrine and to live a godly life, right? And if you look in this passage, you'll see that he's making a reference to the circumcision party. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was a party of um, of Jewish believers uh, who were arguing that non-Jewish believers uh, needed to get circumcised, right? Now, uh, I just I found this passage interesting. You you might not necessarily think it is a passage commanding apologetics, but if you watch the last lecture, listen to the last lecture, you'll see that. Our definition of apologetics is basically defending the truth of, of Christianity, not only to non-believers, but also teaching the truth of Christianity to believers uh, so that it will build their faith. Okay, so um, in a way, Titus, uh, excuse me, in a way, uh, uh, Paul is commanding Titus to do apologetics because apologetics isn't just doing, you know, showing arguments for why God exists or or showing historical evidence for Jesus resurrection it's it's also it's just defending cr- the truth of Christianity in any way um, but in doing that um, it also involves teaching good theology right because if some people are trying to say well Christianity is this and they're wrong whether they're believers or not the Christian's duty, as Paul says, is to step in and say, look, this isn't what Christianity is. You're ruining people's faith. You're, you're misrepresenting Christianity to non-believers, and you, and you need to stop it because you're, this is why you're wrong, and you need to stop telling people this. Okay. So uh, here in Titus, we do have another command to, for Christians to do apologetics. Uh, my last example I was going to use is in Jude 3. This passage says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So yeah, um, Jude is a letter written by Jude, the brother of James and Jesus, possibly to both Jewish and Gentile believers sometime in the 60s AD. 
And uh, we see Jude's purpose for writing the letter here stated directly in the verse. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just basically a command uh, similar to Paul's uh, in, in the last passage, just commanding Christians to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So um, uh, Judas just is just saying, look, it's important to defend the faith um, and not just defend Christianity, but defend the faith that was handed down to believers from the apostles and obviously with all their teachings originating with Jesus Christ himself. So we as Christians, we are commanded to defend Christianity. And, and I hope that you can see that in these three passages. Um, the second type of uh, second type of passage is what I said is, is passages that show that Christianity is rooted in history. Um, these kind of passages are just passages where uh, you can tell, so like a lot of the three passages I was going to show you are all from the Old Testament. I was going to talk about Exodus 4, verses 1 through 5, Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, and Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. In these types of passages, we see that God hasn't always, um, you know, at this part, we're just assuming that, you know, these uh, Old Testament passages are, um, are, are faithfully um, telling us what happened in history. But um, you don't have to assume that I am for the, for the purposes of this. Uh, you know, um, if you're a non-believer, you probably aren't watching this video anyways. This is mainly for Christians talking about why we think that the Bible commands us to do apologetics. But anyways, um, in these passages, you'll see that God hasn't just always wanted his people or his followers to just believe for no reason, okay? God has always acted in history and given people reasons to believe uh, what he's saying is true. Uh, even whenever he gives someone else to speak for him, he gives that person good evidence to show people so why they should trust that person and to believe that that person is giving the true words of God, okay? And that's what we'll see in these passages. So uh, the first one is Exodus uh, 4, 1 through 5. And it says, Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, God said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So uh, this passage is in Exodus, and this is where God appears to Moses in the burning bush, right? Um, it's a It's a special appearance of God. We don't think that God is a is a burning bush, but this was God's uh, uh, revealing himself in, in a specific way to Moses. But Moses is worried that whenever he goes to the Jews to give them, uh, and to uh, Pharaoh, to give them the words of God, that they're not going to believe him. Well, God doesn't say, well, just tell them that they need to take it all on faith. He doesn't say that. He gives him some evidence 
gives him a way so that they'll know that he really is coming from God. And in this in this instance, he uses a, a miracle. Uh, and you'll be seeing how God does this, uh, especially when we get into the lectures on the possibility of miracles and, and all that. Um, and, and that's basically what you see in these next couple passages. The next one is Deuteronomy 18, um, 20 through 22. This passage says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, How can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So here again, we just see uh, God is telling them, you know, you you, you don't just, uh, first of all, God is telling them, don't just believe anybody who speaks in the name of God. Uh, But also there's a, a criteria. Um, test what that person is saying. If if the prophecies that the prophet says come true, uh, then uh, the message is from me. Okay. But another thing that's interesting is that um, is it in this passage or the next one? Uh, God tells them it, it's not just uh, it's not just about their words coming true. It's also about um, whether or not the, the prophecy uh, uh, goes against what God has already revealed to them, okay? And, and that's, that was the test of a prophet in Old Testament times, okay? If a prophet spoke in the name of God, the people were to test his words, uh, test his or her words. Um, and if, if that prophecy came true, then they could know it was from God. Now, having said that, if the prophecy um, went against what God had already taught uh, Israel, then they would also know that that wasn't from God. So, from day one, you see that God doesn't just want his people to just believe whatever. He says, you need to test the prophets, and and you need to trust in what I'm telling you. And, and I'll give you reasons for believing these things, right? And you need to, you need to be logical about this. I'm not going to tell you contradictory things. So if someone speaks on my behalf, don't just believe every word they say. If it contradicts what I've already told you, what you already know that came from me, then it's not from me. And if they make prophecies that don't come true, those words weren't from me either. So you just see God working with humans and not just expecting them to, to take everything on faith. Um, We'll define what we think faith is later on in the series, but uh, you know, just for now, you can just go with uh, the basic meaning of it that you know. Um, but yeah, and, and the third type of passage that we find is Jesus and the apostles actually doing apologetics. Uh, I've got a, a bunch of verses listed here. I was only going to go over a few of them to show you examples uh, but throughout the Gospels, and especially in Acts, we find many examples of Jesus himself and the apostles basically doing what we would call apologetics, right? So the, the first passage I wanted to um, talk about is Matthew 22, verses 23 through 34. Um, here it says, Jesus answered them, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. 
For in the resurrection they are they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, now, I specifically got this reference, uh, or excuse me, this passage from the Grotice text. And if you read um, Christian Apologetics by uh, Douglas Grotice, you can, you can see him uh, talk about this passage um, but yeah, he, he discusses several points about how Jesus handled this situation, right? So here, uh, the Sadducees are trying to catch Jesus in a dilemma where he was going to either deny the resurrection or deny the authority of Moses. Um, but one thing, one of the best, I think, is uh, how Jesus, one of the best things I think about Jesus handling the situation is how he used their own revered writings to show them the truth, right? Uh, they revered the Pentateuch and the authority of Moses. So Jesus used the passage about the burning bush in Exodus 3.6 to show them why they were wrong. So he's basically meeting them on common ground. But you remember, um, one of the things we've said about apologetics, it's not just showing the truth of Christianity to non-believers. It's also uh, teaching and defending the historical uh, Christianity from uh, teaching to believers and defending historical Christianity from uh, believers who have gone astray and are teaching the wrong doctrine. And, and here, Jesus is basically doing that. He's trying to teach them what the correct understanding of the words of God are. Um, so this, you know, this might be, it's apologetics. It also would be kind of a defensive theology. But here, Jesus is uh, using the scriptures, using logic to defend the correct understanding of God's word. Um, a great example of the apostles doing apologetics is found in Acts 17, six, verses 16 through 17. This passage says, While Paul was waiting for them, and it's talking about Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well in the, as well in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So, yeah, when you read Acts, uh, and and we said in the last lecture, one of the big uh, reasons for doing apologetics is not only building up the faith of believers, but uh, um, using apologetics to help with evangelism to non-believers. And here in in uh, Acts 17, we see that uh, Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy, but while he was doing it, he would go to the synagogues and speak with the Jews uh, and also go into the marketplace. And uh, one thing we're going to talk about in the next lecture is apologetic method. Um, there's different ways that people have argued that we should be doing apologetics, uh, but uh, a really great thing to do, we'll talk about when we get there, is to meet people on common ground. Um, uh, find something that they believe to be true and and use that to help them get further, uh, closer to the truth. And you see Paul doing that. Um, he would go to the synagogue and use the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament to show them all the passages that pointed to the truth of Jesus being the Messiah and how Jesus uh, fulfilled all these prophecies in, in history, right? 
he would meet them on common ground and, and reason with them from, from the scriptures. And then he would go to the marketplace and he would meet Gentiles on, on common ground and use, you see passages where he uses um, their, uh, he uses uh, common philosophical ideas that they had and shows them that how their religious and philosophical beliefs pointed to the truth of Christianity. So, uh, so yeah, you know, if you want to check out that list, you can look at all these other other uh, examples. You can also read further in the Grotize text. He talks more about this as well. Now, I did want to uh, talk about some people have used the Bible to say that we shouldn't do apologetics, and I've heard of at least a couple verses. I wanted to talk about those really quickly before we finish. Um, I've heard some people use uh, Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 as an example why we shouldn't be doing apologetics or maybe while apologetics is uh, why it's futile and in Isaiah 55 8 through 9 it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways this is the Lord's declaration for as heaven is higher than earth so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts so this is basically just a passage where God is saying you know like, you guys have no idea. I am God. I created the world. You will, you will never be able to have this same amount of knowledge as I do. Uh, so some people have tried to argue that this basically shows that apologetics is futile and, and any type of philosophy we could come up with is going to fall short. Now, I, I, I want to point something out here, though. Uh, this isn't necessarily saying that, Okay. It's not necessarily saying that all human thinking is futile, so we shouldn't do it. Uh, obviously, when you're trying to interpret the Bible, context is always so important. You don't want to ever take a passage out of context and just think that it means what it looks like in isolation. Now, one thing that people often overlook is the context of Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. If you'll back up one verse, you'll see who I think, um, and I've, I think I've looked at some commentaries on this and people would agree with me, Bible scholars would agree with me, that God is not necessarily talking to every single person uh, or, or, or talking about human knowledge in general. If you see verse 7 says, let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. So, I mean, is that not obvious that in verse 8 and 9 when he says my thoughts are not your thoughts my ways are not your ways he's talking about the wicked ways and sinful thoughts right so uh, this isn't necessarily saying that human being all human philosophy is uh, is bad or is irrelevant it's saying that if you are doing sinful things and thinking sinful thoughts those are not my thoughts and those are not my ways okay so when you're doing apologetics, when you're using philosophy that supports the Bible and you're pointing out historical facts about Jesus' resurrection, that does not that is not you doing what this passage is talking about because those are not sinful ways. Those are not wicked ways. Those are not sinful thoughts, okay? So I just don't think that Isaiah 55 has any bearing uh, or, or should, should discourage us from doing apologetics. Another one I've heard that some people try to use is something like uh, 1 Corinthians 18 through 21. This passage says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Okay, now I think Paul is making a great point here. Um, we can't always expect uh, for people to just hear the gospel message and just get all excited and pray the sinner's prayer right then and there, right? Um, especially in our society today in the Western world, uh, a lot of things when you talk about Christianity, people are, uh, and the truth of Christianity and resurrections and, and all that, people are going to think it's silly. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in souls. They don't believe in immaterial things. So, um, but I just don't see this passage saying that we shouldn't do apologetics. Um, you know, and it, and it really seems to be uh, like uh, the same, almost the same distinction as we saw in Isaiah. Because you see in, in verse 18, Paul is saying, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. You know, uh, he says, Where is the wisdom of this age? But he just mentioned that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, right? To those who are perishing. So that would be the people who aren't saved yet. So, uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, someone who's not saved, they're going to have a worldview or they're going to have all these philosophical ideas that aren't going to be compatible with Christianity. But that's... but. But that's what he's talking about here. He's not saying that you can't use philosophy at all. He's saying if you're using philosophy that supports the truth of Christianity, if you're using ideas that support the Bible, that support God, then then that's fine. I'm right? But but they're gonna think it's foolishness, but that's because they're they're perishing. Uh they don't know the truth. Uh so I you know, um, he might be saying that the that some philosophies in this world are are foolish, uh, but I just don't see here here Paul arguing that we shouldn't be doing apologetics or shouldn't be using philosophy or logic at all. And we've and and with all the passages that we've already seen where the Bible is commanding or or showing examples of Jesus and the apostles doing apologetics, I just don't think that we should take this passage to be discouraging that. Okay, so yeah. Um, our next lecture is going to be over apologetic method. Um, but yeah, our, our reflection question for this lecture was, why is apologetics important? Let me know what you think in the comments or send me an email uh, if you have any questions. Uh, and uh, our, our quote, again, is from R.C. Sproul in Defending Your Faith in Introduction, page 8. He says, Defending the faith to the best of our ability is not a luxury or an indulgence in intellectual vanity. It is the task given to each one of us as we bear witness to our faith before the world. And I also wanted to remind you, if you uh, like uh, what I talked about in this lecture, don't forget, you can, uh, if you want to dig deeper, um, you can either go to ses.edu and check out all the degree programs they have. If you want, or if you're looking for an undergraduate degree or a master degree in apologetics, something like that, uh, you can definitely check them out. They have a lot of online degrees uh, that's where I got my master degree in apologetics and my PhD in philosophy of religion. Um, or you can just go to SES's YouTube page, uh, uh, and they also have a Why Do You Believe uh, podcast and blog. So there's a ton of resources, whether you're looking for a degree or not. Um, 
or just looking for resources to help your faith. And I also want to, uh, don't want to forget to talk about Kingdom Preparatory Academy. Uh, this is where I taught a, my course on Introduction to Apologetics. It is a classical Christian school here in Lubbock, Texas. If you are looking for a classical alternative to education, I highly recommend it. Their website is kingdomprep.org. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening and watching, and I will see you in the next lecture.